Hey, welcome to the Road and Morale podcast. Did you ever feel like screaming out in the office on Zoom or outside the school gate? For the love of God, come on, really? And if this is you and you're looking for an honest, fun and frank podcast on life and business, then sit back and listen to me, Rona Morrell. I'll be bringing great people on the show to talk, share and debate their life experiences and business challenges. Keeping the show unpolished, but with a fun and unique British style. With sarcasm, tenacity, or maybe a few swear words or tears. This podcast keeps it real, honest, raw, and removes the bullshit in the only way I know how. Through authenticity and getting shit done. Think of it less like the Housewives of New York or Towie with the lipo and drama, and more like the house lives of the real world. I hope you'll take something away to be better informed, laugh, smile, or maybe even finally get in the confidence to shout, come on really. So enjoy. Hey Julian, welcome to the Rona Morel podcast. How are you? Rona, very well, thank you. And thanks for having me. Nice to see you from the far end of the earth. It's been, I don't know what, it feels like a year or two since since I've um, had, the, had the dubious pleasure of late night Zooms to, to London. There, exactly. Well, listen, for the listeners, I am delighted to have Julian on the podcast today. Now, Julian inspired me from the very first moment I met him, which probably was about 18 months ago when we had that first um, phone call um, through, a, through a connection actually on, on LinkedIn. But as Julian started to talk to me about his story um, of, of where he'd started in his career and where he'd ended up, I just was fascinated, you know, around that diversification, which is what we're going to talk about. But Julian started uh, his major career when he came over to London. And for those of you who are listening and haven't picked up on his accent, Julian is based in Melbourne in Australia. Um, and he was a director of a consultancy in, um, in an engineering role in an environmental um, firm. And after doing that for, is it three years? Yes, that's yeah. my, my personal best duration as an employee, <laughs> which is not my strong point. Well, after that, you then obviously took those skills and you then set up your own business and you were very, very successful at that. Um, we're going to talk more about this later, but somehow you then ended up building an aeroplane and flying around Europe in 2009 for a couple of years. Um, I know you're a keen boater um, and you're a, another successful business owner with Spark Brewery, which has a global patent. Now that shit's hard. Um, and then you diversified again into obviously owning a, um, a brand. So I'd love to kind of talk to you about how you went from those career moves and how you... Yeah, thanks, thanks Rona. I mean, you, you make me feel better about feeling so tired when you sum it up like that. That uh, explains <laughs> it really. And, and you know what? Sometimes it is just that reflection. You look at people from the outside and go... How, how does he do that? You hear a lot of people in careers going, well, I've only ever done this, so how am I ever going to do something else? So please t- tell us about your, your kind of journey. Well, it's accelerating, isn't it? You know, it's uh, the, the era when you'd start in a role and finish your career with a gold watch 60 years later or whatever it is, you know, in the, with the same organisation, those days are past. Yeah. And in my era, 20 years ago, we were told that you, we should be expected to be able to reskill and change careers once or twice, and that was shocking. And I don't know what kids these days, like, you know, don't ask me, but uh, it's a whole new world of pace of change, product lifestyles, company, um, you know, lives in terms of how, how long they're relevant for and just the pace at which communication and, and transport's allowed us to, 
to iterate and develop, which is exciting and, and also, also frankly, incredibly tiresome, depending on whether it's a good day or a bad day. But um, yeah, and I, and I guess that um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know myself. I can't remember. Um, but it's a bit like you know, it was always seen negative if you had lots of movements on your CV, whereas now oh, it's just... right, I know. I got a job at Standard and Poor's in Collins Street here in Melbourne, which is. Uh, a global credit rating agency and I was it was while I was I'd finished commerce and I, I was I had I think I had one year of engineering left to, to complete and I was advised sternly that I should change jobs every two years that was the optimal balance between looking on the nose because you can't stick and taking the opportunity to progress your career and I kind of rolled my eyes and I think probably at the time went back home to play with a machine that I was rebuilding or something rather than, than sit in a suit at the top in a column street. But um, strokes for folks, my path's been not the easy path, I'd say that much. And I'm not clear that I'd recommend it to everybody, but yeah. it's, it's true that I have sort of evolved in accordance with, uh, with what's been possible to do and what I've wanted to do at several different steps in, in the last 20 years. So what was that point, obviously, when you owned your own business here in the UK, and obviously it was very successful, um, what, what was that trigger point that made you go, I'm going to build a plane and go flying? Almost more interesting is as to why I started that business. I'd done several solid years work and led a team and was offered a directorship in someone else's consultancy and decided to jump ship. And it, for a while, it, it, we debated within the household whether that was the right thing to do, just on the basis that it would have been lucrative and safe to remain within a bigger practice. Yeah. Pretty comfortable. Um, and, and the reason that I jumped ship to, to start my own business initially was that I told my prospective business partner at the time that we'd do it. And I wanted to, you know, we'd, we'd made an agreement that we would do it. And I felt like I'd let him down if I didn't. I yeah. would have left him in the lurch for me to go off to an, another opportunity. So out of solidarity, I did do that. And for the first few years of, of my first business, this engineering consultancy in London, the jury was really out as to, you know, when you start any business, it's not easy. Mm. Um, and I'll always remember that the reason that I did that, and it was plainly really worth doing, we, we were solidly successful and, and more importantly, learned a huge amount and made a lot of good contacts that, you know, in this case led to me meeting you. It's a great example. <laughs> you know, I'll always remember that I only had the motivation to do that because of solidarity and honour on an agreement. And, yeah. and that's one of the sort of principles that I've carried through. Um, but we ended up, and Frank, the 09 thing, what can I say? You know, we were left with no better alternative than to, we had a kid aeroplane, nothing better to do. We thought, well, let's just pack up and go traveling. So we, we did, we spent six months living in a factory unit in Norfolk and constructing a kid aeroplane. Right. Uh, and, and flying it around Europe. I can show you. Oh, yeah, let's uh, see. If your, your, your listeners want to suffer through a, a tour of, of my house in Melbourne, uh, this is one of, oh my God. I don't know what it's a, it's a, a castle on the Loire in northern France. Yeah. And all the photographs that I just after the first dusting of, of snow in probably October. Wow. All the photographs included a small part of the aeroplane, in this case, the pitot tube that measures airspeed. Oh, wow. Part of the fun is to fly with the, your feet on the rudders and to be able to sling the plane sideways as you're flying and to be able to snap a shot. So that was just kind of the way we rolled in, in 20, 2010 and 2011. Literally. And this one, if you can nav navigate past the, um, the art that my five-year-old makes at school. You can see one of the palace, summer palaces of the, the Danish um, Queen Margaret, Margaret yeah. and, and the wing of the aeroplane here. So that was kind of tons of fun. It's still a real sort of self-development at the age of, I don't know, what, 28 or 29 or something to, to build a plane and, 
and just go camping. Australians aren't scared to sleep in a tent under the wing and ride folding bicycles around for two years. And I think 60% of the budget of that trip was petrol. Like we'd cycle really? to get car petrol. Oh, goodness. It's not about money doing something like that. It's about know-how. Yeah. You do have to have 100,000 quid to be able to put into a kid aeroplane, but you don't lose money when you sell it. So if and only if you've got nothing better to do, I'd highly recommend it. Honestly, <laughs> I can't understand why everybody else is not building aeroplanes and flying them around Europe, you know? Okay, well, when I, when I find myself in that position, then uh, maybe there's, there's a challenge to be had there. I'm not sure yeah. I need to get rid of the kids first. Do you still, you sold the plane, did you? I did, and it's like long overdue. I think uh, it's only a matter of time. I think I'm rationalising the fact I'm not flying at the moment. My kids are five and seven, and by the time I do fly inevitably, it'll be in high and fast things that can get me around the place, and they won't take it for granted. The sad thing is that children that grow up with their dad flying them around the place are just like meh about it once they're teenagers. And it's almost really sad because it's yeah. one of the most amazing things that humans can do is, you know, release themselves. That sense of freedom and autonomy yeah. is second to none. Um, but it was an interesting trip. We learned a lot and met a lot of people, not landing in big cities and taking tourist opportunities, but just staying in small towns, like landing, landing microlites in farmers' paddocks and talking to normal people in small towns. It just made incredible connections that we've maintained. I can guess it was like really, people have, yeah, have really genuine. It is. It's, it's not the, the tourist postcard. It's actually bombing into bizarre places and having authentic experiences with individuals. And so that's the reason that we did a second year. We borrowed money to be able to do a second year that we couldn't really afford to do yeah. just because of the people that we met. But wow, what an experience and a kind of and a legacy and a learning journey to look back on whilst you may have borrowed money the value of that must have been incredible. Oh, I'm certainly not sorry now, but it was hard work too. It yeah. certainly wasn't a holiday and that's the thing. It was, it was an adventure and that is a form of work in itself. Did you ever get matter. busted for landing in someone's field you shouldn't have done? <sighs> you name it. <laughs> Where were we? In this, oh my goodness, Rick, you know. There's some kind of funny reciprocal rights with home-built aeroplanes that allow them almost everywhere in Europe except for the Baltic states. And when we oh. came across from, when we came across across the across the Baltic and landed in Estonia at Tallinn, the Estonian, you know, we landed and were hosted by a, a parachuting club that were really really helpful and really lovely. But that informed their all their social media and everything else at the time. Put out a press release. Oh, these crazy aeroplane pilots had built their plane a landing i think actually we picked up we were when we landed we were videoed by the news and there was a segment we were on a sta on estonian national television and the next morning their head of air traffic control telephoned the flying club and said what's this about a home-built airplane in my airspace <laughs> and so we were left with the decision do we stay and i'll never you know it's one of the many many cases of champagne i owe my wife is for for evacuating her out of there because oh, the gosh. option was either we stay and, and do midsummer, and she desperately wanted to go and jump, you know, skydive with them um, at midsummer, or get in the aeroplane, fly south to Latvia while we could, and have a beer and watch it all in the evening news, you know, clear of trouble. And which is the decision that I took is that we had too much I... at stake to risk having the aeroplane impounded over the paperwork. Oh my God. I was told by a, a very experienced commercial professional pilot who'd flown Margaret Thatcher in his time in small jets that the, the sort of holy trinity, the hierarchy of priorities when, you, when you're an aviator are flesh, metal, and paper. And what that means on the basis that you're not trying to do the wrong thing, mm. stay alive, look after the airframe, and worry about the paperwork later. 
And that served me well under, you know, I could tell you, look, if, if your podcast's about crazy aviation stories, I've got a few. <laughs> Maybe that's a follow-up one for, for another time. Look, I, should get, I should get you and Frank to Steve together, actually. <laughs> but even that, that kind of that three-pronged approach in terms of business, you know, look after yourself, get the right things into place and, you know, and, you know, seek, seek forgiveness afterwards, you know, sort that out and kind of. Oh, it's so the mentality. I'm so often, I say that to my staff all the time these days. If you're given the choice to seek permission or to apologize, do neither run as fast as you can and don't look backward. (laughs) And it works every time. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And I think that's the thing then that, it's these life lessons that you learn on these journeys, be it getting yourself out of danger or situations where, um, you know, you, you, you could be impounded. But these are all life skills that when you just sit in a firm for 20, 30 years, you're not exposed to that sort of stuff, are you? So what what then kind of took you um, out of the kind of the aviation world and, and how did you get to where you went next? Well... I bought a block of land in Queensland when I looked at it on Google Earth because it was a stunning shack in the tropical rainforest on a little point of land into a huge bay, which is just environmental heaven, Harvey mm-hmm. Bay, you know, near, I'm aware that your daughter's middle name's Airlie from Airlie yeah. Beach in Queensland. It's, it's near, quite near to there, the Great Barrier Reef. Oh my and, God, then we are definitely coming over, sorry. <laughs> well, we, we, we spent a bit of time after this flying trip hanging out there and just, I don't know what, doing what you do. There were literally mangoes falling on the roof of the shack up there. And I thought, look, I'm Australian. They're Australian. This will be fun. And I lasted eight months, honestly. Read a huge amount about brew science, built a wooden boat, got fitter than I've ever been, and then ended up moving back to Melbourne with my first child on the way and an idea for this new business that that grew into Spark. And Spark, Australia's leading engineering company that designs and and builds craft brewing systems and distilleries we've built 47 in the last six years and wow and And that's all in australia isn't it it is that's right so we'll be we'll be exporting our equipment to the uk and to america to california as soon as i don't know what you guys get your acts together who knows (laughs) can i say that (laughs) you can say what you like mate absolutely maximum love and 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 huge feels like it's it's an awful situation, but oh, yeah, you know, patience is a virtue, but it's not one of mine. I, I I'm kind of in your camp on that. I'm more about you know get shit done, get on with it, and so yeah, too probably, right. probably struggling at the moment. But I think you 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 may have slightly underplayed the, the the kind of the Spark Brewery in terms of what it is because to get a global patent is, and if anyone knows anything about patents, it's really freaking hard. Yeah, so, I wouldn't recommend that either. What is no. this a podcast about things how not to live your life? Yeah. Okay, for the avoidance of doubt, it's not the smart way to do it to try and personally take a take a patent for something extended into 12 nations and then commercialize it. The patent yeah. bit, oh, you can do it. That's why 99% of them aren't commercializing, uncommercialized. The commercializing bit, that's smart play. Go and find a government research organization's patent that it's too bureaucratic to be able to commercialize seek some funding from someone else and commercialize someone else's patent kids you know what can i say if you're in the unfortunate unfortunate position not not to have listened to this podcast and and you you're still enough to have done it the hard way then yeah it's uh at this point i think i don't know what we're five years in with that and it's pretty well proven shake it down it's smashing it in its space honestly i shouldn't be um self-deprecating it's kind of there are 
I don't know what, more than a dozen installed and operating here. It's really found a, a happy place in an uncontested global niche. Most brewing systems are built, they're traditional systems that are built for people that are getting into manufacturing beer as craft yeah. brewers. And I'm the first guy that said, hang on, the critical success factor in pro brewing is selling beer. Why do I stop convincing all these people that want to brew that they need to focus on selling beer and go and talk to the people that sell beer already? So this machine is the first thing in the world that's compact, inexpensive and simple and you can retrofit to a pub. Yeah. In Australia, the market for, for breweries is maybe 50 or 60 a year and we're 40% of that as the leader. Wow. Whereas the, the market for pubs that could brew more profitably rather than buy beer is like 8,000. So we need a fraction of a percent of the addressable target market. Oh, man, you're making me feel more tired, not less tired. But <laughs> <laughs> there's there's no, 16 but years remaining. On. I think it's such a complex market here in the UK in terms of, you know, the number of pubs and ownerships and chains that we have is, is incredible. And obviously a lot of them are tied and leased and there's a whole world in that. But I, I think what I loved about that kit was the where the idea came from in, it, in its simplicity, the solution that it provides and, and, and how literally I could put one in my office, couldn't I, if I wanted to? Well, here you go. If you'll permit, I can share screen. Will that work? Yeah, if you... please do. All right. This is what they look like. I know you've got to, it, says, it said you're disabled. If you enable, I can show what this machine's like in case anyone is interested. Oh, but yeah. it, um, well, I don't know. It's just like miniaturization of manufacturing technology. And if you think about creating a place, people go to a pub for a sense of place. And you're right, pubs are dying because they're no longer culturally relevant. Yeah. So that equipment just allows communities to be able to have not only their own place to drink, but their own beer. And it brings manufacturing of beer and retailing of beer together in one place. And that value chain capture outweighs yeah. inefficiencies of being small. And as soon as COVID puts a huge broom through the whole retail economy, You've got all this empty retail space that the economy can't substitute away from. That's, you know, bricks and mortar. <coughs> Excuse me. And it, it'll just equilibrate at price with its highest value use, which, you know, one of which is, is brewing, it turns out. That's yeah. my story. Well, listen, I've made you host, so if you want to screen share now, you, you, you should be able to. This is the article in question in Melbourne. Oh, oh, that's beautiful. The object on the left here is that that's the article that's patented. The geometry of this brew house that makes right. the wort is, is what's patented. And then these shiny tanks that look good and taste good, you know, they're fantastic. Um, you Amazing. can serve beer directly from these tanks at the top. And it, it being a compact machine that allows you to, to um, row these tanks up behind a bar, it's no different to a commercial dishwasher or a coffee machine in the way that these can be installed and used by, by anyone, anyone in the world. So... Another idiot proof. Could I use it? Well, I mean, and that's, that's my job. You know, that's like, it's my responsibility to make sure that the people don't care about stuff they shouldn't have to. So uh, we've got a ways to go is my answer to that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, it's, it's, when, when you think you've nailed it, test it out on me. And if I can get it, then, then we should be all right. Well, is that we've got a little technology development project that we call um, Beer Cloud TM. And that's once you have the, these machines through, once we've got 20 or 30, we'll put automation so that the, you know you can automatically brew and then connect them together by in the cloud so that you don't move beer around australia instead you just move the recipe which makes a lot of sense so environmentally like why, then why would you truck water and beer all over a country like australia it's absolutely ludicrous have you, have so you a, yeah. that's really interesting actually so have you started to think about the kind of environmental impacts of that what that could provide for a nation like australia 
Oh, it's huge. It's absolutely ridiculous to move beer around the place. It makes so much sense to, once equipment's inexpensive and, and is able to be used, yeah, it's just engineering work, you know, in a sense. But yeah, I've got a, yeah. there's a lifelong technology roadmap there that I can, look, if I don't do it, someone else will. So what's a man to do? Got to keep busy somehow. Crack on with it, Julia, crack on. So when, <laughs> <laughs> so um, and I'd love to know more about that when it when it happens as well, because anything... Robo Brew, Beer Cloud TM. You heard it here first. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> Rono Brew. Um, so obviously when you were doing all of this, you were, you know, you're traveling, you're doing meetings, you're kind of working in the brewing industry. And I know one of the big things, and having come from brewing as well myself, is big drinkers. So, oh, you noticed that too? <laughs> yeah how's lost... iso this will turn into a personal decision about alcohol now are you guys going okay there like um well yeah so it's it's right and i can to get where you're going yeah if your job and, and you know this you, you're quite right if your job in the first few years is having beers with people for sales work that's fantastic part of the blush is oh my goodness you know can i believe let me just check myself this is actually my job i'm being paid to do this it's fantastic and it's the same, you know, here when with selling brewing systems, the guys, Australians can drink, it's no secret. And the guys <laughs> that are getting into, you know, if someone wants to open a craft brewery, chances are they don't mind a beer. And you guessed it, these guys don't sign in ink, they sign in a two-day bender. When they come to Melbourne, which is the kind of cultural heart of, of our industry, food and bev and beer, they want to see 12 of these and they're not looking. You know, this is like, I want to drink each of every single. So these tours of duty started as fun in the second year and by the fifth and sixth year, not so much. Yeah. So... I almost as a, a matter of self-defense developed a zero alcohol beer that I could smash on these sales missions. And that sort of allowed me to drink wine with my wife on the weekend and to be able to drink, drink this um, Upflow, it is, Upflow Brewing Company in, in the week at work. Well, I should, um, just, to, just to, in the openness of honesty, that's how Julian and I um, first met. And I remember when we were chatting on the phone and my experience of zero alcohol beer had always been relatively poor, if I'm honest. And uh, after chatting to you, I just, I loved your personality. I loved your story, but I was like, I, I can't get involved in a zero beer if it's shit. So I remember you sending me some and I blind tasted my family back in the day when you could have people round and have a barbecue. And I, I blind tasted, uh, I think it was my husband, my brother and my dad. And just the pure reactions in that moment, I was straight on the phone to you afterwards saying, I'm in like this, this does what it says on the tin. And yeah, I'd love to kind of help you bring this um, to, to the UK, but to, you know, to the world. And so just to let people know that, that that's kind of part of the connection. Um, Isn't that nice though, that, that the fact that, you know, that you want to believe in something for you to be able to apply your, you know, your skill and tenacity and now in, in leveraging my ideas and, and the work that I can do into big economies and into to be fair industries that aren't my wheelhouse you know that yeah. the fact that someone can get behind it personally i think it's a really important factor and increasingly people want to do something that's right for the right reasons they don't purely want a commercial deal in work or with business they want to do something that they are part of and it sort of works in every sense yeah and i think you know as as someone who um and for, for many of the listeners who are going out on their own or consultants or you know thinking about that next stage or that project i think for me, it is around the core fundamentals of integrity. Do you connect with that person that you're going to work with? And do you believe in what they do? Because there's nothing more powerful and stronger than seeing a genuine passion for a product or a service and that you know um, 
you have every faith to open your black book up to. And I think that's certainly what I live by uh, um, as a consultant. Sustainability obviously is a massive thing um, for, for me. So, so yes, that, that features heavily in terms of who I choose to, to work with. Um, but yeah, I think you can, you can employ people who just want to tick a box and earn a salary, but it makes a difference when they believe in what you are and what you do. I noticed when we were recruit, recruiting for Upflow in the UK that we got a really high calibre of applicant at a reasonable price, in part because they wanted to work for the company because of the nature of it being a health-orientated beer culture thing. Yeah. And the people would, would, you know, in the face of a couple of job offers, would work for less money for us. And I thought, wow, this is a real... It's like an unspoken asset of a business to have, you know, because ultimately, if you've got everything else right operationally, you're in human resources, let's face it. Yeah. And if you can attract better people at a better price, that's kind of a critical success factor at the top end. Yeah, and I think COVID's only going to um, compound that feeling of so many people have had time to sit back, reflect um, on top of obviously the, the, the worries, but go, what is right for me? Do I want to work this hard for something that's not making me happy? And actually, if I earn five grand less a year, but I've got a better quality of life and I love doing what I do, then damn right, that's the best thing to do. Oh, it's, that's, at the end of the day, it's, and, you know, of course, assuming that you make it that far, when you're on your deathbed at 80, you know, what, what is it that you think is important and not? It's always important. You know, it's a nice pause to reflect, isn't it, in a strange way? Again, assuming that, that everyone's okay in the meantime, this, this COVID-enforced break as a real fracture in this, con- you know, tireless kind of continuity of the, the rat race yeah. is itself a really good chance to just ease up and reevaluate what's important. And during the, the kind of, I know it's been a, a different experience in Oz to, to, to hear during COVID, but what, what have been those major reflections for you in terms of, impacts to the business and any kind of decisions that you and your family have made oh everyone's probably sick of the covid thing but melbourne was slapped hard and had a really brutal iso lockdown for a full three months and the government managed to completely eliminate the virus and we've just had you know months of, of absolutely nothing which is not what i would have thought is possible and that it, you know it is remarkable but <sighs> Our family's had a chance to, I mean, I haven't really come down off the ceiling yet, to be honest. I'm pretty highly strung and I didn't really judge or think. I just acted. I did exactly what a decent, solid manager would do to maximise the chance of survival and thriving. Yeah. And a slightly embarrassing result of that is that we'll now have plainly at this point the best year we've ever had oh because my, that's incredible. there was a kind of pent up demand of people considering what they were going to do next in their lives and... You know, we leverage direct to consumer. It's it's sort of facilitated progress toward the future for sure. To some large extent, recessions are necessary, and you need in the natural yin and yang of progress for the tide to go out. And yeah. if if you are adaptable, and I think that's the key thing in that Darwinistic sense that it's not the strong necessarily, but rather those that can adapt. If you're adaptable and you're nimble, then yeah. in fact there's this huge opportunity in in bad bad dumb situations. Exactly. And, and I think it's like, that, go on. I, I really, honestly, I haven't even stopped to, it's interesting that you ask because I haven't, I'm still, I'm sprinting a million miles a minute and um, not sleeping at night. So, I, if you know. That doesn't I, surprise I like me with you though. <laughs> yeah, really? Well, probably, yeah, if, I, if I was to stop and think, it probably is okay, but I'm not going to. <laughs> do you, not, do you not think that there's part of that, um, 
you know, it's great to have that energy, tenacity, agility, but do, do you not feel like you should just slow a little bit and take this opportunity just to, even if it's not, you know, reflect, but just to allow your body and mind a chance of a break? It's allowed us a, a lot of advantages with the children just homeschooling them and doing a lot of things that we wouldn't have done otherwise. And in the business specifically, it's given us time to implement a huge amount of digital, digital technology, build a huge amount of marketing collateral, mm. take stock and simplify to just brutally cut and slash and burn a whole lot of inefficiencies out of the business and to prune everything back. Right. So there's a, there's a ton of operational learning um, that, that will put us in a vastly stronger position. You can always do better. That's the thing. No, you know, it's, it's, like, I, I would love last year back in a sense. I would love that year again with a little bit of warning so that I knew that I was going to have a whole year off. Because, of course, when you go into lockdown, you're like, oh, well, this will be a week or two. You know? Yeah, I'll uh, just enjoy it. <laughs> well, that's, you know, if, if someone said, hey, it's going to be a whole year and, you, you know, your revenue is going to fall to nothing for eight months, then I'd be like, oh, well, in that case, you know, I'm sure that I would. I initially was going to take the family sailing in Queensland and we were just going to go into ISO up there. Yeah. But Australia is like a confederacy, like America, and each of the states implement a different set of rules. So right. the borders have been closed between the states for the vast majority of the last year. So that wasn't possible. Um, so again, if I'd known that we weren't going to be able to do good family sailing time with a spare year, I would have applied myself in a more structured way to what we did with the business yeah. but whatever you know live and learn I think it's um I, it's, it's something that I'd always always kind of spoken about before and I remember being at a majorly successful brand and it wasn't until things started to just get a little bit tight actually when we really dived deep into those inefficiencies and you know cost of good savings and all of those things and actually that's something I think any business should do on a regular basis, a bit like you should always just update your CV twice a year and just have a little nosy out into the market, see what's there, even when you're happy, because that's the best time to look. Um, so I think I, I think those that are going to survive this and come out stronger, which clearly you have, are those that have taken advantage of that opportunity to look at their their flaws and failures and and, and kind of improve them but also plan for how you're going to come back stronger which it sounds like you have been well that's true and also i mean listening to podcasts and talking to people has been a huge win the opportunity to connect with people and just relate and reflect i think is really sadly missed in in the modern pace of life yeah and i think you know a lot of people you know we were, we were chatting earlier but a lot of people sort of say to me why are you doing it what are you getting out of it and and genuinely it's it's bringing people's kind of stories and journeys to to life and if it makes someone smile or they take away a learning and I have learned something from every single podcast I've done so far and 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 like you say just that sense of connectivity during this time has, has massively helped me um so yeah what more can you want than having a chat with someone who's like-minded maybe I should start picking people who I really can't stand and you get some really kind of diverse opinions because they do say, <laughs> don't they? You should surround yourself with, with, with idiots as well. And, but also with people who have very opposing um, thought processes to you. So you can kind of 
understand a greater perspective. So, um, oh, look, I, th- I think you might be onto a new form of interview chat show there where it's just a massive argument, you know, who's <laughs> to say? I don't think it's been tried. You'd have to test it and find out. Yeah, I think it could be quite good because I'm one for those always. And afterwards, you go in hindsight, I wish I'd have said that and I wish I'd have done this. So, yeah, may- maybe it is. Maybe I go out there and, and just find people who I really would love to throat punch and go, let's let's have it out. So, yeah. <laughs> There's one way to find out. We'll think about that. We'll think about that. Well, listen, Julian, I'm, I'm conscious of your time. I know it's quite late over there. Um, I just want to say a massive thank you for taking time out of your evening. I know you've not long put the children to bed. And um, it was a pleasure working with you um, with, with Upflow. But, but likewise, it's been a pleasure to get to know you. So thank you so much for your time, Julian. And um, look forward to seeing you again soon. Yeah, more than welcome as well, Rona. Have a, have a great... Um... What can I say? Have a great ISO and I hope we'll get a chance, you know, within the next few months to do a bit more work together. I'm sure that time will come. Oh, I hope so. Thank you, Julian. Have a good one. Hey, take care. See you later. Bye. So that's it. You've made it. The show's over. Thank you for being with us. I hope you've been able to take something away, maybe solve a problem or just know you're not alone. Here's hoping it made you smile with a few laughs along the way. Please feel free to find me on all social media channels and you can subscribe to my YouTube channel. Just search the Rona Morale podcast. Have an awesome day and see you next time.